This is the Six Figure Creative Podcast, episode 246. Welcome to the Six Figure Creative Podcast, where our mission is to help you turn your creative passions into a stable, reliable income. If you're in audio, video, design, photography, or really any other creative field, and you just want to learn from other successful creatives, you're in the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hood, and I'm here with another substitute co-host episode from Mr. Sexy Mark Eckert. How you doing? How you doing today, my dude? <laughs> That's right. Super sexy. Super here to substitute. I'm just, I'm just here, dude. You call me, I show up. That's it, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. This is our, uh, my last day before my, my vacation. I'm really excited about this. Like I've got my, if you're watching on YouTube, I've got my, I've got my beach shirt on for everyone <laughs> watching the video of this. He's got the classic, uh, music industry, Hawaiian shirt, uh, gold <laughs> chain douchebag mode. So I really, no really excited. Gold chain. Uh, dude, gold chain. You got puffy chest hair. Your name's lefty. You're going to give me a good <laughs> deal on management. I appreciate you, bro. Make oh. me a star. God, I'm going to be, you're going to be a star, Mark. Yeah. So we leave for, uh, for Cancun on, on Monday and like, I don't know how you are, Mark. Like, are you an adventure traveler or like a relaxation traveler? Like, which one are you? No, I'm definitely, uh, so Shira, my wife and I, we call it active resting. So if we're just sitting doing nothing, we're pretty miserable people. But so, you know, this past year we went to France and we did not sit at all. We were just going from city to city. Uh, Went to Panama last year. I slept in disgusting hostels. I was meeting all these people. I was sweating in the humidity. That's my kind of trip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how I, we typically do it. Like our, that was your honeymoon, right? Like I believe that you're referring to when you went to France. No. Well, so we, we had a domestic honeymoon, which was uh, Jackson Hole. But once the border started like, you know, opening up, then we w- did our international one, which was Paris. <laughs> yeah. So w- on our honeymoon, we went to Paris and we went all around Europe on that trip. And it was, it was very much active traveling. We went to Thailand right before COVID, like January 2020 to February 2020, like right before the ball dropped. And that was like six weeks active travel. Once a year, my wife and I, we just want to do like nothing on a trip. And our place for that is Cancun. We, went, we did this last year, about the same time last year, went to Cancun for like about 12 days and we do nothing, nothing. We sit and I'll tell you right now, like we love the beach, but not really. We really like the idea of the beach. So we stay at the JW Marriott on the hotel zone and like we sit at the pool. Is visible. You can hear it, but we're not going to touch it. We're not going to use it for anything. We're going to sit by the pool. We're going to order food, drinks, and we're going to read our damn Kindles for like seven hours a day, every day. I'm going to get through like 10 books. My wife's going to knock out like 20 books because he's a faster reader. And uh, we're just book nerds, man. None of our business books, by the way, all like fantasy. I'm just wow. escaping reality. Yeah. It's, it's nerdy stuff. See, yeah. Sharon and I are definitely more like, we don't like uh, heat. We're not like beach people at all. We like to go as cold of places as possible. So like we'll go to New York in the winter when everyone's like that place. Jackson <laughs> Hole was during the winter. France was cold as fuck. Yeah, you just it's it's good to like get cold a little bit because we're in North Carolina. So like the summer, we're just miserable people. So we try to counteract that as much as we can with travel. Yeah, yeah. All right. So by the time, by the way, by the time this episode airs, I will have already been on my trip and come back. So that's that's the beauty of like batching these episodes ahead of time is like I can take some time off and you still get weekly episodes, listener. Speaking of weekly episodes, let's talk about what we're talking about today on the podcast. Um, if you listen to last week's episode with Stephen Helvig, we mentioned a little bit about the 80-20 principle. And, uh, and I wanted to do a full episode on this. We did, we've done a couple on this on the podcast, but one of my favorite quotes is, we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught. So for those of you who already know about the 80-20 principle, you need to be reminded of it again. Like every year you need to do like an 80-20 deep dive on your business. If you don't know what the 80-20 principle is, this episode is incredibly important for you because this is the secret to success. <laughs> 
especially like faster success. So if you feel like you're like doing all the things, you're putting all the work in, you're like hustling every day and you're seeing no results or your results are not coming fast enough, it's probably because you have not considered something called the 80-20 principle. I like explaining this, but I want to see if, if Mark can do a great job of explaining the 80-20 principle really quickly. And then we'll get into kind of what we, what we want to dig into for this episode specifically. Yeah. So I think the 80-20 rule, simply put, is you're going to make a lot more money and have a lot more success by specifically doing less. But you need to choose the most important things that you're doing and those are the only things you're going to do, or you're just going to prioritize that and everything else comes second or you cut it out completely. Yes. So it's basically saying like 80% of the results that you are achieving come from 20% of the efforts. And that means that 80% of what you do is only yielding a small amount of your success. And like, I can look back at my last year and say, I definitely see this in my business. Like no matter where you get as a business owner, no matter where you get as a freelancer, or even as an employee, if you work at a job, there are things that you are doing that absolutely don't matter and don't accomplish anything. I, I will agree with you that 90% of the things, not even 80, 90% of the things that I do are complete ludicrous and I don't need to be doing them. So I actually, about a week or two ago, I had a moment where I was like, oh my God, I have a lot going on. The team has a lot going on. This is crazy. And so actually the past week or two, I've just been reviewing our own business, 80-20 style and, and just reading as much as I can and seeing how we can trim as much fat as possible. Yes. Yes. So for those of you who are in the US, it was just, so you've, you've hopefully done through all, done all your taxes properly. You've hopefully worked with the CPA. If you're not in the US, I don't know what your tax system is, but in the US, it's like every April, you just scramble to get all your taxes done last minute. If you're, if you're like me, sometimes you file an extension <laughs> because you have money working in other places, but that's like advanced stuff that I don't want to get into. And like, it's really dangerous if you're not good with money, but I don't know if I want to mention that. That's like one of those things. It's like, do I even talk about this? No, I'll do I'll talk about it because my QuickBooks is not linking to my bank accounts right now. And my guy who does all of our bookkeeping is like, yo, like 60% of your stuff, we still have to go over it. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> Yeah, so now I gotta yeah. fix that. Yeah. So well, we're not today's episode is not about tax extension. It's not even about taxes. It's about the mindset that we get into in tax season, which is April. It's very much like New Year's, where you've just done all your numbers. And this is a really good time to review all of the stuff that you've done. Um, I think Graham Cochran, who's been on the, uh, the podcast several times, calls it counting the fruit. So this is the time where we've looked at all the numbers. We've, we've submitted them. We know at this point, we should know what we owe in taxes. And we've already paid it, hopefully, if you're smart and you're uh, an honest person. But this is a great time to look at your business and, and start analyzing it from the perspective of the 80-20 analysis. And there's four different areas we're going to talk about when it comes to 80-20 analysis. One is your finances. Second is your clients. The third is your time. And the fourth is what we call lifestyle design. And we want to look at, use our numbers to help dictate how we apply the 80-20 principle to our business. Am I missing anything here, Mark? Or am I doing okay so far? I think you're doing so beautifully, Brian. You. You're doing Thank a you. really good job. That's why your substitute co-host is because you just feed my, my sad little ego. No, I don't have an ego. Uh, we all have ego. <laughs> sad. Just sad. Sad. <laughs> sad. It's because, it's because I'm about to pay my taxes. That's why it's sad. Oh, well, you were, about to, you were about to say, yeah, it's time to go over all your numbers. No, it's time to be critical, critical because you have way less money in your bank account. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so let's talk about 80-20 finances, right? So when you're looking at your numbers for the last year, and you can do this in any time, by the way. If you're listening to this podcast in like September, it came out April. You're listening in September because you're binging through our backlog for whatever reason, which is a great thing to do. You can still do this in September. You can do this in January. You can do this in August. You can do this today, whenever you're listening to this episode. But look back on the last year of your income. And I want you to look at and see what services did this money, because this is the, this is the story I want to get into is 
I mentioned this on, a, on an episode recently. I did this analysis the first time, an 80-20 analysis on my services in 2014. It was after the 2014 tax year. So it was actually April, 2015. And I looked at all my services and I found out that most of my income, like 60, 65% of my income came from one service, but that only took up about 20% of my time. And then the other 80% of my time was spent on a service that only brought in about 40 to 30, 35 to 40% of my income. And uh, for those of you who are in the production and audio world, that service was full production, like tracking, editing, having bands live with me. It was, it was not an easy service to do. And so what I realized is that like, if I actually cut out that service, full, full production, like lodging bands, tracking, editing, this freed up so much more time to double down on the service that's bringing in the most of my money. And not only that, Mark, I don't know if you've done this in your business recently or ever. I'll explain it. Yeah. Yes. I see the, I see the look on your face. That's why I like doing video calls like this. Cause like, I really want to say something. <laughs> what happened was the year after that, or which is 2015, when I fully cut out tracking and editing and, and full production in my business, that service that was, it's actually a, a, a several services, but you can call it whatever you want. When I cut that out, when I stopped recording bands, my income doubled that year and I worked less. And that's the beauty of doing the 80-20 analysis on your services, specifically to where your money is coming from versus the time that you're spending on it. Mark, tell your story or whatever you wanted to mention there. Yeah. So I think the funny thing about that is, you know, you're saying, all right, Mr. Creative Person or Mrs. Creative Person, go in and see all of your money and all you've made and see where you made the most money. Well, the thing is, is that if you're earlier on, it's like, well, I did some of this, I did some of that. Where did I make my most money? Because it's kind of all over the place. Because a lot of times if you're freelancing, you're doing a lot of different services. What I do and what I've always done, and this kind of ties into what we're last going to talk about, about lifestyle design, but I literally list out all the different services I did that year, all the clients I've had, all the people I've worked with, all the scenarios. And then I literally just go down that and I see which one of those things annoys me. It just pisses me off. I'm just annoyed about it. And then I cross it out and I see what's left. Like that's what I do all the time. Like I just did that. And there's a few projects that we had this year that I lost sleep over. It annoyed me. Yeah, it might have made a lot of money long term, but the amount of effort that I had to put into it, why the fuck am I doing this? Like I'm doing this so I can have a good lifestyle in the music industry. This is fun for me. Why am I going to deal with that's not the point. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I just, I just cut all these people out and all these projects out and then I move on. It's good. Yeah. So I mean, honestly, you kind of like put all four of these areas into that, that bucket. So I love the idea. And we didn't actually talk about this before the episode when we were playing this out, but like just listing out all of the things, all of the clients, all of the, all of the services you you've, you've gotten in some cases, all of the software you're using, if you really want to dive into things, cause we're, we're going to talk about expenses in a second, all the software you use or any expenses you incurred, all the things you purchased. Oh, well, it's so the thing is you're working with human nature. Like you're going in this is like, yeah, you know, I really have my shit together. I'm just going to write out, here's my profitability score. Here's my Google sheets. And I'm just like, I'm fucking annoyed with all these people. <laughs> goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. And that's how I, that's how I work. Yeah. I mean, honestly, so we, 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 we can kind of bounce around this list, but the 80, 20 of clients, when you cross this off the list, you're essentially firing a client. So we should probably just to jump into this part because uh, this is a little later in the episode than I planned, but this, I can already tell this is not going to be a linear episode. We're just going to bounce around, but that's okay. We probably should have 80, 20, the outline before we started, but you know what? I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Firing clients. Let's talk about this. This is an area that can save so many freelancers if they'll do it, but most won't because of multiple reasons. One is they don't want to let people down 
or two, they're just so hurting for cash that they feel like they have to do the work. But when you're finding a client, Mark, how do you go about it? And I'll, I'll talk about my approach and, and what my wife recently did when she fired a client. Yeah. So I think, um, so I'll, I'll say, you know, just blatantly, we fired a, a pretty massive client uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, really, really great people, good company. You know, when we took them on, we thought that it was going to be a very, you know, slam dunk scenario it was mutually beneficial, et cetera. And, um, you know, as we kind of progressed, there were a lot more needs that were not originally discussed. There was a lot of alternate communication. And the biggest thing is they just didn't really want to follow how we go about our business. And we've created a system so we are profitable. So it's low stress for our whole team. A big thing as you grow is ensuring that your team does not get burnt out. That's huge. That's like if you're an owner or a freelancer and you just have contractors working for you or whatever, a huge responsibility of yours is to understand the morale of your of your team or whomever you're working with, you know, because if it gets bad, you can't keep that going. So for anyone who doesn't have a team, which is like 99% of listeners, the same applies for you, your own morale, because that that is honestly more important than your team morale, because if the business owner or the person controlling everything has low morale, it affects everything. Yeah, but it like the thing is you are your own team and you can even consider friends that are a couple years ahead of you that are giving you some advice, they're your team. Like for instance, I have a really really good friend of mine here, Daniel uh, Grimmett. You know him, Brian, great guy. He was at my wedding. And, you know, I got to a point where I was just like calling him every day asking for advice and this was just like annoying as hell and I was just dealing with a bunch of shit. This was maybe a couple of years ago and I got off the phone one day and, you know, he's a great friend. He'll always pick up for me. I, I love him to death. Unlike me. I, <laughs> oh, no, you'll always pick up for me. I just have to call twice. But, That's uh, true. <laughs> but the thing is, it's like I realized my morale was so bad and it was actually affecting everyone around me, whether they said it or not. And so I was like, I need to go to therapy. Like that was the thing that I needed to invest in to like talk about business stuff going on. But going back to this particular client, the whole thing is if you're firing someone or taking them on, you don't want to be subjective about it. If you are leaving a relation with a client, the biggest thing that I learned from some of my mentors were don't speak subjectively. Don't say, you did this and I feel this way. You did that and this affected me. No, it just says, or what I wrote was, hey, so-and-so, really big fan of your company it's very clear early on that there's a lot of things that have made this very clear that our systems are not working well together. We're trying to like bridge the gap or whatever, and there doesn't seem to be a way in which we can work. So for your benefit and for your team's benefit, I don't want to waste your time. We respect you and we think we should cut it here before we're too invested because I care about you all at a later date we may be able to service you, but not right now. And that's a very, hey, it's a little subjective because I am saying, you know, we do care. But the main thing is like, it's not working and it's for your benefit financially that we don't work together anymore. You know, so it's not like a, fuck you, get out of here. I don't like you. You always, you never want to give anyone a reason to talk shit about you ever, ever, because everybody knows each other. Yeah, I think this is a better way of putting this would be breaking up with a client, not firing them. I feel like firing firing a client just sounds so negative, but I, some of us, not all of us, but like I feel like some people have been in a relationship where it was just best for both of you if you split up and you could have an amicable split. 
it's not always the case. Sometimes it's, it's, it's brutal, but <laughs> at the end of the day, like it's best for both of you if you split things up. So, so writing this list down of all your clients, all your services, where your incomes came from, softwares you use, and, and marking off the ones that, that piss you off, as Mark said, or make you angry or frustrate you. I think it's easy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. We talked about crossing off the list of services. Like for me, full production, tracking, mixing, like that recording bands in my studio pissed me off. So I literally fired that service from my life. I broke up with it forever and I haven't recorded a single band since 2015. So early on, when I first moved back to Charlotte, I had a studio in my parents' basement. And the, until I had like a good client pool, I was actually teaching drums and piano. My mom taught piano. I talked about this on the last one, but she kind of showed me the ropes and it was really easy for me to get an, a good income. And so there's this one mom of a student <laughs> that I needed to drive to, to them as 45 minutes, but I really needed the money at the time. And literally two minutes, but you know, I'm outside their house two minutes before the lesson starts. She texts me and she says, Hey, you know, so-and-so's feeling a little unwell today. So we're going to have to call it off. And I was like, I'm already here. And she was like, well, sorry. And I, and I said, I even said in my, my policy, well, you have to pay if it's not within 24 hours. And she's like, uh, I don't think we're going to do that. And I was like, okay. And so I just sat in my car for a little bit and I had what's called a fuck it moment. And that's when I realized I'm losing money by doing this because I have, I could, I could spend a little bit more time just marketing myself and getting production clients. And so I literally just made the decision. I was like, I'm going to put myself in a chaotic situation. I called up all of my clients, all, all of my teaching students. And I said to their parents, Hey, I'm not teaching anymore. If you do want lessons, it's going to be this rate and it's going to be at my studio. And I'm only going to teach on Monday mornings. That's it. And so literally that night I lost all of my students and I had to figure it out. And I did. So it's sometimes it's about having a fuck it moment too. I don't suggest that all the time, but occasionally it's, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. Taking an emotional moment where you're like pissed off is not the best time to make decisions. So I, I like your story, but I don't know if I would suggest that. It was logic based because I was losing money and like I, I did have all my financials and it, 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 everything made sense. I just felt desperate for some reason and I wasn't. Yeah. So honestly, I had a, situ a similar situation happen to me in 2009. This is the first time I ever had someone cancel last minute. They had booked up a week of my studio time and they canceled last minute. And so I lost out the entire weeks of income, like which sucks at the time. Like it was, it wasn't a lot, but it was, it was money that I was missing out on. And instead of like just quitting or firing all my clients at that point <laughs> and saying I only work <laughs> this time, I, I did something that I think is also worth talking about when you have clients that piss you off and that is your boundary issues. So what I did was as soon as I had that issue come up that pissed me off, instead of blaming on the client, I first wanted to do what I now call Extreme Ownership, which is a book from Jocko Willing. That's a great book. Yeah. I, I didn't know what it at the time. It wasn't even out at the time. And I, and I wouldn't have even called it that. But what I did was I said, okay, this situation sucks. What can I do to never have this situation happen again? What I can start doing is collecting a deposit. So from that point on, which was like summer 2009, I started taking a 40% non-refundable deposit to even get added to my calendar. And if they cancel, especially last minute, that deposit, I keep it. I keep it. And so if you just cancel on me last minute, I still get paid 40% of it and I don't have to do any of the work. And that rarely happened, but it did happen. And in those times, I either could just refill the, the schedule and make 40% extra money that week, or I could just take the week off or the month off or the day off, whatever it was, and, and still make some money. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, again, saying that it's like looking back, it's like, yes, that was an emotional decision and I did have some logic behind it. But I mean, going forward. Yeah. So with this pre, uh, this client that we recently let go of, you know, we had an entire systems audit of everything with the company and we realized, okay, what things can we put in place? Because this is completely our fault. You know, whether it was the onboarding experience or our sales call or communication, we did all of this stuff wrong. We failed. Yes, we let them go, but we lost them. It was our fault at the end of the day, whether we decided to take them on or not, it's our fault. So we did a complete audit, built out a bunch of new systems and protocol, and we don't foresee that happening again. But if something were to happen again, we would have another systems audit and constantly refine. And that's how you build a great business. Yeah. So just to kind of get us back on track here, just to keep everyone on the same page, we're talking about the 80-20 analysis of your business, the 80-20 principle, and specifically looking at your numbers at a tax season now, but whenever you want to sit down and actually take the time to do this. And looking at where are where's all my money coming from? Who are all my clients? What are the tools I'm using or the tools I purchased this last year? And then look at the list and think, what pissed me off? And then striking out the ones that you need to get rid of. So we've been talking about this, but there's also more than just the things that piss you off. There are also things that just didn't work out the way you thought. So you can also do this with projects. Like what, what projects did you work on over the last year? Especially like, think about this. The 80-20 analysis of your business is a project. So anytime you're working on your business, think about this. Like what are you doing to work on your business? And did it work out the way you thought it would? Because this is where we get into wasted time. When you're working with clients, you can't call that wasted time because you're getting paid. But when you're working on your business, if it doesn't give you the result that you expected or that you wanted, then it's wasted time. And I'll tell you right now, Mark, like there's so many instances this past year. And when I sit down and do this exercise, which I'm doing right after this episode's over, I'm going to go to a coffee shop afterwards and and do this all. I'll call you twice and I'll interrupt everything. No, I'm kidding. I know, I know. (laughs) Um, I'm finalizing on my taxes to anyway. It's April like first today. April Fool's Day. Happy April Fool's Day. Not if you're listening right now. But anyways, when I sit down and do this, like, I need to look back and see what are all these areas that I spent time on working on my business and determine like, why did I do this? So it's almost like the decision-making process because when we make decisions to work on our business, sometimes we just do it because of shiny object syndrome, (laughs) which is probably the worst way to work on your business because it's like, oh, they just talked about the 80 20 principle. I should do that. That's shiny object syndrome. And sometimes that's like, you just half-ass those things. Like, I don't know if you ever did that, Mark. Like, do do you struggle with shiny object syndrome? Well, absolutely. And I think also with that, you know, it's good to find people to look up to and kind of say to yourself, what would this person do? Like, actually, funny enough, you're one of those people. I actually say to share all the time, like, Brian is so good at saying no to everybody. I'm like one of his best buds and he barely picks up my calls because he's busy. (laughs) Phil Kaplan, who owns DistroKid, he's a huge hero of mine. He says no to literally everything. You go on there, you know, if you make music, good chance you've release music through DistroKid, there are no features. It is so simple. It's kind of, it's not a great looking platform, but like they just say no to literally everything and they just, they do a really good job at what they do and that's what they do and they just make that better, which I love. So I think it's, you know, to avoid shiny object syndrome, you kind of have to build in a a no thing in your head, like your default answer needs to be no. And the exception is you say yes. That approach works for everything. So like I own two software companies and if we said yes to every feature request we got, it would be the most bloated, impossible to use shitty software on earth. Like that is impossible to, to do everything that everyone wants. So you just have to understand what it is you do and what it is you don't do. And so like when you're working on your business, going back to the 80, 20 in your time and the projects you worked on the last in the last year, 
meaning working on your business, understanding that like when a new shiny object pops up that I want to do, I need to by default say no. And now my process is what needs to happen for me to say yes to a project. So basically like I have to create arguments that this is worth my time to implement in my business. Like how hard is that, dude? It's well, it's hard because we're, we're creatives, you know? So it's like, everything's cool. Oh my God, the vision, how sick. I'm going to lose so much money on that. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, I definitely said yes to a couple opportunities this past year, regrettably. And I, I wasted a lot of money towards it, but you can either take that and be disappointed in yourself, or you can, again, extreme ownership. It was all my fault. This is me maturing as, uh, as you know, a business owner in the music industry. Well, can I just say something? If you have a problem in your business, whether it's your client that, that screwed you over or canceled on you last second, or it's the client that pisses you off, or it's the money wasted or time wasted, it's all your fault, <laughs> Mark. Any problem in my business is all my fault. This past year, I actually... <laughs> You're going to laugh so hard, too. I actually made a, a list of basically all of the money that I spent on different avenues that didn't work out. And it was a little north of like 30 grand or so. And, you know, I definitely learned. But a lot of it was tech related. You know, that's just inherently expensive. Like we needed to build out more tech in that pitch for licensing and like, it costs like 15 grand and literally into it. I was like, this is not the direction we want to go in. So I can the whole thing. And, but I learned so much from that and I've saved probably just so much money in the future. And the same thing with like anything. I mean, you could uh, work with a, a, somebody who's ghost producing for you or hiring an assistant for photography or whatever. And you're going to learn pretty quick. Maybe that was the wrong person to help me with a project or you're going to spend on Facebook ads and realize you didn't do it right or something. And you know, these are all lessons. The point is you don't do it again. Yeah. Sometimes this, this is just the cost of learning the lesson. Sometimes it's not like, okay, when we talk about the 80, 20 principle and all the things that piss you off or had no ROI for your business, all the expenses you wasted or the time you wasted or the clients you need to fire, like all of this stuff is inevitable. Like no matter where you are as a freelancer, as a business owner, as an employee, as, as a husband, as a, whatever you, you are like in all the areas of your life, you will encounter issues at every single level. You can always do the 80, 20 principle. So this episode, when we do it again next year, it will still be relevant and it'll still be something you need to do again and again and again. So don't feel like you can just avoid these problems. Like when you lose five grand on Facebook ads, because <laughs> you wanted to start testing it out, that's just the cost of learning Facebook ads. Like there are ways to mitigate those, those risks and stuff, but sometimes we just have to learn that, oh my God, I suck at copywriting. Oh my God, I suck at building out funnels. Oh my God, I suck at this. I suck at that. I suck at how, understanding how the algorithm works. Like That's just one example. Or I, I started to do a new service in my business and it flopped. I thought it'd be fun to do, or I thought it'd bring a lot of income in, and it absolutely flopped. In these situations, this is just the cost of being a business owner. You have to, you have to experiment and it'll be okay with failure, but also learning from those failures. And that 30 grand you lost wasn't necessarily completely wasted. Although that doesn't mean you should have said yes to the project. So this is, this is the, the, the balance we make between being free to create and experiment as our, as a business owner and understanding when we need to say no and an 80, 20, everything. Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't because most freelancers, number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. 
Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. Yeah. And I think with shiny object syndrome, there's a balance and it's, it's, I think it's a constant, you're never like, if you say no to absolutely everything, you will miss out on opportunity. And you know, maybe someone ends up doing a way better job than you because you're so busy saying no to everybody. So like you can't adapt to what, you know, clients may need if you say no to absolutely everything. So I I try to look at it as not, you know, it's kind of like course correcting. And I think, you know, kind of talking about time and lifestyle design kind of in this episode, it's about course correcting to make sure that you're within how you want this to work and you're not just overwhelming yourself unnecessarily. I think that's, would you agree with that? Yeah, you're right. Like, so we're all on a path from like point A to point B and like ultimately point Z, whatever that long distance thing that you have in your, in the back of your head is. Some people, like if you listen to last week's episode where he talked about being in zombie land for eight years straight, some of us just kind of wander around in the desert for 40 years or whatever, not ever making it <laughs> anywhere because we don't have a destination in mind. But eventually, like if you do have that long-term vision, which is what, what Stephen eventually found was like he had a long-term vision and he started working towards it. He, he has like, I guess you could call it guardrails. Think about it like on a, think about like a bowling game where you have the bumpers on the bowling alley. Think about it like guardrails, like if you don't have those guardrails up, you're going to roll gutter balls like every time if you're bad at it. But if you have the guardrails up, that is essentially like what the 80 20 principle allows us to do is just course correct every now and again. It's the guardrails. And I think like to that, you know, I forgot who said this, but it's like you need to learn how to fail quickly, you know, because everybody's going to fail. You're going to, you know, fuck up some sort of project with a client. You're going to, you know, do a bad job. You might have bad communication, but you know, everybody's going to do that. Nobody's born just amazing at all of this stuff. Everybody has just, you know, if somebody's ahead of you, they just spent more hours. That's, that's literally it. But shiny object syndrome, it's controversial because like on one hand, it's like you could waste a lot of time, but on other hands, like we just started that management.co and we're running operations for a bunch of music industry companies. And that was a shiny object. And that's been a really great thing for us. But if it wasn't good, a great skill is for me to cut it off quickly if it wasn't good. And that's kind of what I did with that other client. I cut it off quickly before we spent too much money in it. So just everything, you have to be good at knowing when to say no. Default no immediately. An exception is yes. 
But once you do say yes, you also reserve the right to eventually say no if it's not good and you want to do that quick. So we talked about 80-20 analysis of your finances by looking at your incomes and your expenses. We talked about 80-20 analysis of your clients by looking at which clients pissed you off and which ones you need to fire or make adjustments with boundaries. We talked about the 80-20 analysis of your time to figure out where your time has been wasted. And honestly, even more important, why you wasted the time on that in the first place. So it's almost like readjusting your decision-making abilities or what frameworks you use to make those decisions so you're working on the right thing and hopefully not having shiny object syndrome pulling you towards the wrong things. I think to, to kind of wrap this up, we should talk about the 80-20 analysis of lifestyle design because I'll tell you right now, like I do not build this business to just be a business owner. Like I have multiple businesses and while there are seasons where I'm busy and I'm working on them a lot, ultimately your business should be designed to serve you. As a business owner, as someone who's making money doing what we do, we're not a charity. We're not, not, we're not a non-for-profit. Non Even if you love what you do, it still should be set up from the ground up to serve you and the life that you want. Your life should not be built around serving your business. And that's a really important thing as freelancers, because when we're working in our businesses, when we're working with clients, when we're working on whatever stuff we're doing that we love, it can be really, really imbalanced in a really toxic way because we love it but it's not serving our ultimate purpose in life of what we're trying to do, whether it's your family, whether you're trying to travel. So one of my mentors actually said something fantastic the other day. You know, he was VP of Columbia Records, A&R and like, you know, big, you know, in this sort of realm. And he told me on the phone, he was like, yeah, the interesting thing about being in this industry is the way you have to look at it is I would do this for free, but don't you fucking tell anybody that I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love, I love that because it's true. It's like, yeah, if, if this, I, I would be doing all of this for free. Like I love running that pitch. I love developing artists. Like I love all of this, but don't tell anybody I said that, <laughs> you know, cause it is fun, but you're building a business to support your lifestyle and your dreams. Now you have to help people too. That is the byproduct like being able to accomplish the lifestyle that you want, a byproduct of that is you are helping a lot of people. I think a lot of people, you know, who cares about money? Brian, you and I, like we, we don't give a shit about money. We, it's, we're building something that ultimately helps people and supports uh, the life that we want to live. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I'm some saint who doesn't care about money. Like money, money no, serves- same. I mean, yeah, but- Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's not the thing that drives It's just a tool. Me. Yeah. So you, you were talking to Brandon Brown earlier, who's a couple- been on a couple episodes of our podcast and he was telling you about something like the four columns in your life. Can you talk about that for a second? Cause that's an important thing with lifestyle design. Yeah. So Brandon is a really good mutual friend of both of ours. I lived with him for two years. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually, that's how I met Brandon. It was through you. We were hanging out. We went to, yeah. And I went, oh, okay. Well, anyways, Brandon and I, we backpacked in Panama during COVID cause it was the only place we could fly to. Um, and our Morocco trip got canceled last minute and we found a flight for like 300 bucks to Panama. So we took it. So anyways, traveling around, we were on, uh, this flight from, I think it's called Porto Vallarta back to Panama city, really small plane, smelled like feet, bumpy, but he opened up his book. Cause I, I consider him a really great friend, but also a mentor of mine. Cause he truly lives the lifestyle that he wants. And I just really look up to that so much as a business owner. And he showed me his notebook and he was talking about your life should have four columns in it. And those are your four big priorities in your life. Like what feeds you both creatively, but just everything in life, what nurtures you. 
And I actually have to review mine. <laughs> but, you know, I think when I filled it out, it was creativity and, and, you know, kind of business goes along with that. Travel. I love traveling. It always nourishes me. My close relationships with friends and having a good community. Those were the four things that were extremely important to me. And music follows, falls under creativity business. I kind of look all of it as one, to be honest. I would assume you kind of do too. It's just business is creativity. Anyways, but what he said, and he had his four columns, and the idea is those four columns keep the roof up. You know, there's no stress because you have those four columns. Well, if you lean too much into one of those columns, you know, things get unbalanced. The roof starts to fall. That's when you start feeling kind of crazy. So, you know, he was explaining we had pretty similar columns. And if I'm too focused on the business and everything, you know, I start getting really stressed out. And it's like, wow, I haven't traveled for a while. Wow, I'm not feeding my close relations. Wow, I'm not, you know, in my community hanging out with a bunch of people and, you know, chilling at dive bars, just meeting new people or whatever. I thought you were going to say chilling at Chili's for some reason. <laughs> chilling at Chili's, dude. I'm not going to, Sponsored yeah, that's one of my Chili's. columns is Chili's TGI Fridays, bro. <laughs> but, you know, if I'm traveling too much, then, you know, and that's all I'm doing, then maybe I'm not being as innovative on the business and I might not feel as creative and I'm too relaxed and I kind of get bored. You know, if I'm only focused on my relationships, well, maybe my business and my personal endeavors and travel can hinder, you know, can be hindered from that. I think the point is, is that you need to be aware of what are the four things that truly nourish you as a person. And with that, how can you build a life that supports those four columns? You know, and if you're ever feeling unbalanced, typically it's because you're too focused in one of those columns. One of the best things that I've ever learned, I'm so thankful for Brandon. He's just such a good guy. I really look up to that guy. Yeah. I need to do that exercise. Like I, I remember Brandon telling me about this when he was, he was actually working with like a mentor of his own who kind of helped him with, with coming up with all this stuff. I think it's Lonnie May. He wrote, I think Red Shoes Living, I think is the book that he wrote. I think it maybe. I don't know. I can't vouch for the book. I can't vouch for the author. All I know is I remember Brandon telling me about this. And like, this makes a lot of sense. But I definitely know that like, while I have an idea of what those columns would be in my life or pillars, if you want to say that instead, it's really good to have those front and center. Because when it comes to lifestyle design, I'll tell you right now, like the last year, I focused way too much on business and not enough on some of the other areas in my life. And I feel that imbalance. I feel that stress and I'm working towards getting out of that. So it's, it's good to, to, to keep lifestyle design on the forefront because again, we are not created to just work. <laughs> like whether it's on your business or on a day job, we're not created to just work. There's more than life than just work or just business. So it's important that when we're doing the 80-20 analysis of our businesses and our lives, which there is a lot of crossover there, that we have the design of our life at the forefront of our minds. Because if you don't, you will essentially put all the eggs in the business basket, <laughs> be miserable. Yeah. And another thing that I actually didn't, I failed to mention is he had a list of people like straight up, just like the people that were most important to him. And that list was very small. Brian, you and I were both on there, which is hey, sick, but, nice. uh, <laughs> but you're on my list. Brandon's on my list and just keeping that. I mean, it was, it, they're small lists. Like they're, they should, there should not be a lot of people. I'm very extroverted. I have a lot of acquaintances, a lot of friends, but I had to make my list very small. And I really just focus as much as I can on those core people. And that's kind of 80-20 ruling, you know, your your personal life too. And that has actually been so beneficial for me because again, I'm very extroverted. I always feel very, very like I have a lot of pressure to reach out to so many people and 
that's just, I like people, you know, everyone's really interesting to me for the most part. And so limiting that, I can actually kind of get deeper into friendships that I already have. And that's been, it's kind of like going deeper versus wider. It's been really nice for me. And I heard something similar to this where they're talking about creating a, just a small list of people that you like really, really love and care about and only allowing those opinions to affect you. Like, so just for example of like, if you have a, if you have a lot of people in your life, family, whatever, it's good to have a small list of people that you trust with their opinion because everyone's going to give you their opinion, especially as a new business owner, everyone will give you their opinion of why it won't work or why you're going to fail. You know, they're just going to give you whatever skewed perspective they have. And if they're not on this list of small, the small, but mighty list of people that you trust, people that you know that they have your best interest at heart, then their opinion 100% shouldn't matter to you. Only let the people on that list opinion help you guide what your decisions are made. Well, because let's be honest too. I mean, since we're talking about personal life, as you move further in your career, yes, you make a conscious decision to make your circle smaller. It's like, keep your network big, keep your circle small. But like also, I don't know if this has been for you, but like I have my cards a little closer now because a lot of people who reach out you know, not always, but like, there's a lot of people who don't have my best interest and they just want something. And it's, you know, it can create a lot of, I I like helping people, but it can create a lot of pressure and, you know, you, yeah, it can get a little bit lonelier too. So it's nice to have those really important people around to kind of keep you grounded. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, this has just been like a six year long con with me and you, where I'm trying to get you into my uh, multi-level marketing scheme, my pyramid scheme. Well, just so you know, (laughs) we have a new site. It's called called creativemlm.com. No, don't don't even go to that site. I don't know if it's a real thing. So let's just kind of wrap this episode up, man. We we, we were kind of all over the place today, but like, honestly, there's just so much to this conversation. Like we could, honestly, like we could have an entire episode on 80-20 analysis of your relationships. We could have an entire episode of 80-20 analysis of lifestyle design. An, 80, an entire episode on 80-20 analysis of your clients or of your income or whatever. Like it's such a broad thing. And this applies to like your personal life. It, it applies to your relationship. It just applies to everything. And it's, and by the way, we didn't mention this, but it's, it's even in nature. Like they, they discovered that 80% of the peas come from 20% of the pods or like in any given area, like 80% of the wealth will be accumulated by 20% of the people. It's like, it's fascinating stuff. But at the end of the day, like it's important that we sit down and take time to, again, what Graham Cockrett says is count the fruit, look at everything and, and determine like what needs to change in my life, in my business, in my relationships to make next year or this next 12 months, the best 12 months of my life so far. And if you keep doing that every single year or even every whatever, however often you want to do this, if you keep doing this on regular intervals, you will always have better and better years, assuming you don't make the wrong decisions. But this, this helps with the decision-making. Maybe we should have an episode on just decision-making frameworks, Mark. Yeah, because like also, you know, something we didn't talk about is like, yeah, while this is a really, you know, easy way to look at it, and there's actually a book called Essentialism. I definitely recommend reading that. It's very much, you know, applicable to this. But a lot, what people don't talk about is, making these conscious decisions is extremely hard sometimes. You know, like I'm talking about breaking up with one of those clients. I lost so much sleep over that. But how do you feel now that the relationship has been cut? (laughs) As soon as I sent the message, I felt just so fucking good. Like I, I slept. I was in such a good mood. Everybody thought I was a hippie the next week. And I was like, wow, this was really affecting me. And so these decisions aren't easy, but once you make them, you know, 
and you don't owe anybody anything unless you know it's a, a child that you you know is if it's your kid or your relationship or something you have the power to build your business the way that is the best for everybody involved.